Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. All right, this morning we start a brand new month uh, on Imagine, but this year the Word of the Lord to us for the whole year is the Word of Enlarge. And I doubt if there's a day that goes by that I'm not thinking about that. I feel like never before this Word Enlarge is still there for us. I don't feel like it's somehow rather tailed off as we've got through the year. I feel literally like we are just still on the edges of the impact that it's meant to have for us and for us as a church. But I know that for as much as it is a word for us as a body, it's also a word for us as individuals. And so for some of us, enlarge means change or changes in our relationships. It means that for perhaps the first time in a long time, we start imagining our family whole instead of fractured by things of the past or tragedies or whatever that's happened. Maybe for you though, it's not about that area. Maybe it's about your career. And can I say that God is just as interested in what your future looks like when it comes to your career. Maybe it's something you've always wanted to do. I keep meeting people in this church that have gone back to study. Maybe they're at a mature age and they go, but you know what? I've always wanted to do this. And so they have got a fresh imagination of what their life can look like. Maybe it's about your calling though. Maybe what you're hearing God say to you is it's time for you to step out and to step up. I guess with all the emphasis we've had for the last couple of weeks on Destiny Offering, some of us are going to be thinking about our finances and starting to say to ourselves, I really would like to be a part of the answer. You know, I really wish I could do more than simply buy a lottery ticket and hope that it might come up at a 24 to million to one chance. But I'd like my life to build towards being able to meet needs, not just having my needs met. And whichever one of those areas or any other that it might be, it always will require a different imagination from you. I want that to sink in for a minute. I want you to stop because the the Bible doesn't talk about imagination as though it's some fleeting, ethereal kind of fairy floss kind of a concept, like someone dreaming up a plot line that would never bear any semblance to reality. Rather, the Bible tells us that our imaginations are incredibly powerful. And I want you to stop and realise that for every change that you want to see happen in your life, it will require a different imagination from you. Some of you that have believed, I'm too old, it's now gone past my time, I'm past my prime, that requires a different imagination. Very different to what everybody else maybe around about you thinks, where they're saying, well, now you're over the hill. Well, once upon a time, you might have found that perfect spouse, that person that you're believing for, but now you're gone too far. No one will want you now or whatever else it might be. Or maybe it's the career. Well, I'm too old to get into that or I'm too young. Or maybe I'll never get that dream job. Whatever it might be, it requires for you and I to have a different imagination about our future. And so this morning, I wanna talk to you about you and your vision 
Let's go to Judges 6 verse 11. I almost feel I have to apologise to Gideon because I have flogged the man so hard for so long. I can't help it, but I keep mining new stuff out of the story of this guy because I actually think he's like most of us. I think he's somebody who when confronted with the enormity of the promises of God, there's a little bit of us, most of us. Now, some of you were born with incredible confidence. You just believed all your life you're gonna be amazing. I don't know who you are, uh, but most of us weren't born like that. Most of us have grown up going, you know what? I'm not sure that that's my life. But at any rate, let's read this in Judges 6 verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abbey Ezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valour. Gideon, the Australian, said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord's with us, why then has all this happened to us? Can't you just hear an Aussie talking right there? Oh yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Right, yeah, right. And where are all His miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, isn't it funny how we all believe in the miracles of yesterday? It's so easy to believe in the miracles of Azusa Street and the outpouring in the early 1900s where the Holy Spirit fell and ignited the Pentecostal movement. And then it's easy to believe in the miracles of the 1950s and 60s of the charismatic outpouring where people from all denominations seem to come under the power of the Holy Spirit in a remarkable way. And yet so many times we put more faith in the miracles of yesterday and almost none in today and in what God wants to do. And that's where this guy's at. He's not saying, I don't believe in God. He's not saying, I don't accept the miracles. He's saying, but they're all in yesterday to me. On it goes. Where are the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you'll save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Haven't I sent you? So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. I want to take you on a journey this morning of your vision because some of you here, maybe you've parked yours or maybe you never got it going or maybe you've just never had ever entered your mind that life could be great and that you could be great and that God could use your life in an extraordinary way, then see what this man's like. Because it was not just unlikely, according to him, it was impossible. It was audacious what the angel said and unbelievable what the angel said. Because the angel declared to him resources he didn't have. The angel declared to him a confidence that he'd never known and an overwhelming victory that he had no experience of. 
Can I suggest to you this morning that the first stage of every vision, of your vision and mine, is always that first hurdle of the audacious believing. It's always that thing where we are saying, can it be so? Is it really possible? God, are you sure? How many people here have ever told God, God, are you sure you got the right person? You ever, you ever told God, God, are you sure you got the right one? God, you sure you're not talking about my neighbour, about the other person, about that one over there? They're equipped, they're, equipped, they're gifted. They've got uh, all the connections. Maybe it's you and that very first stage where it's so big and it's so out of my world, but it takes, and I'm using this phrase deliberately, a quiet audacity. I have never found faith land on me like an explosive device and take my brain into a new place. I've found usually that there is a struggle to audaciously believe something that's out of my experience, that I can be that one, that this can be my life. Last Sunday night when I was speaking, I talked about the, uh, Peter getting out of the boat and I made the statement then that miracles are never in the boat. Miracles are never in the boat where it's safe, where it's predictable, but they are always outside of the known. They're always outside. You don't walk on the water while you're in the boat. You got to get out of the boat to walk on the water. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say to some of you today, come on, audaciously believe, dare to believe. Come on, I don't mind what the teacher told you, what the principal said about you, what the school reports have got to say, what your parents may have thought or your brothers or your sisters or all the family or the crew that you've hung out with. I want you to quietly dare to believe today that there is something great for your life. That God, listen, God wants to use you. He wants to use every single individual. There are no mistakes in the body of Christ. There are no misplaced individuals. There's nobody that God somehow or other wasn't looking as you snuck into the kingdom and He never saw you enter. And so He's got no plan. Oh, quick, let's cobble something together. Never saw them coming. Every single one of us, no matter who you are and what your life looks like now, every single one of us has something in the plan of God that I believe is great. Now, I'm not talking about greatness in terms of fame. Billy Graham was famous. But Billy Graham had a Sunday school teacher and despite my digging and my research, I've never been able to find out his or her name. But I guarantee they were great. I guarantee there was something phenomenal about their life. I guarantee that they sowed quietly into this little boy in the hills, really, I think it was, of North Carolina and, and sowed into the life of this little boy, never dreaming that one day he would grow up and would preach to more people face to face than any human being that has ever lived. So I'm not talking about being great in the thing of how many followers you've got on Insta or Twitter or Facebook. I'm talking about, uh, about doing something that is a significant part of God's plan. 
And I believe you can be that whether you ever get on a platform like this or whether your platform is in your business, in your university, in some media role, whatever it may be, that wherever you are, you may be in the humblest part of the business where you work. But who knows who you are going to reach and which life you are going to touch. You'll never know unless you quietly and audaciously believe. I think so often about the day when we will stand before God and it says then we will know as we are known. He that knows everything will show us everything. I reckon most of us are going to get shocked because we're going to think, well, gee, I thought I was pretty ordinary, really. We'll discover the impact that we made because we prayed for somebody or something. I showed you the, the original story last week of East Berlin and the, the downfall of the wall. And I wonder, I'd never heard of the guy, Pastor Christian Führer. And I wondered, you know, I'd never read his name in the media anywhere. Started a prayer meeting that had seven people in it for a couple of years. Grew to becoming 300,000 people. One month later, the wall falls. Well, probably he wasn't great in the famous sense of the word, but he certainly was great in the kingdom. So believe today, I want you to say from your heart, God, I'm audacious enough to believe that my life can count. I'm audacious enough, God, to believe that You're not finished with me yet. I'm audacious to believe that the greatest impact of my life is still ahead of me. It's not behind me. That till the day when my last breath is is breathed from my life, until that day, God, there is so much more that You want to do through my life. The certainty of vision begins when you say yes to audacious believing. Gideon does that. He's given his first task as this nascent, this emerging, amazing leader. The angel has just said, you're it. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're a great man of God. Hallelujah. Wow. Look out. Here I come. This is Judges 6, same chapter, verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, cut down the wooden image that's beside it, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord said, because he's an amazing leader. Because he is anointed and appointed and because he is graced and gathered and going. And all the other alliterative things that I could possibly put together. And he's got all this thing really happening. It's going amazing. And he's like, wow, woo, this is what the call of God feels like. Yeah, God speaks, woo, I'm off, I'm going in Jesus' name. Wow, look out. Gideon took 10 men from among his servants, did the Lord said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. I'm a man of God. Just don't look at me. I'm called of God, but I'm going to just do it undercover. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down. The wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bull was being offered and the altar which had been built. Must have taken a long while to burn. They said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they'd inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. 
Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he might die because he has torn down the altar. That was a very short ministry. Because he's cut down the wooden, wooden image that was beside it, Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? In other words, he's saying, look, hello, if Baal's as good as you reckon, let him do it himself. Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he's a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Now I want you to realise something here about the quiet and audacious believing that I have urged you to do. And that's this much, that no one else ever sees your vision when it starts. No one else has seen his vision. No one else has seen the angel. No one else knows he's the man to save Israel. And so because nobody else knows about it, he takes 10 men from out of his father's servants. Why does he take them? I'll tell you why. It's because they had to go. Because they're employees. Huh? It's just like some of you here that own businesses and you send someone out to get your lunch. They don't want to get your lunch. They don't want to do, they don't want to work on your boat. They don't want to get out there and wash your car. You know, oh yeah, certainly boss. Yeah, let me wash your car. I can't even got time to wash my own. Amen. No, nobody else ever has that happen. You're all good bosses. You say, don't worry about that. I'll go get my own lunch. Matter of fact, let me cook lunch for you. How many people does that happen at your workplace? None. Excuse me, I bought a cake in this week. Don't you give me that. He takes these employees because he's got no crew. He's got no group of friends that believe in him. And it gets worse. Because when he does all this and the men of the city come and inquire, a dobber is very quickly found. They inquired, who did this thing? And one of the 10 men goes, I know, it was him. He did it. And like he can't even find 10 employees that are faithful. It's just really not going so well. And the, the truth is that the second stage of your vision and mine is always strength because it's, will you believe if no one else does? Come on, some of you here, you're the only person in your family that's ever dreamt of going to university. No one else tells you you can do it. You're the only person in your family that's ever risen to management, to an executive role. They're all wondering how you got it. No one else thinks that you're going to get healed. They all just think you are living a pipe dream. They wonder, you know, you, you know the way they do it when they go, and you know, so you think this is going to happen? And they go, hmm. Well, may it be so. Too many people take a poll on what God has promised. What does everybody else believe about me? What does everybody else say I'm capable of? Vision has got to live in the heart of one before it ever can be seen in the deeds of many. Vision's got to live in the heart of one. Listen to me. If it doesn't live in your heart, I don't care who prophesied it. I don't care, you know, I don't care. We get prophetic people come and we prophesy in all of the, you know, the EFM courses, etc., and believe that God speaks about your life. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter at all if you don't believe it. 
Because vision's got to live in the heart of one before it ever gets to be seen outside of that. And so strength is the stage you've audaciously believed. Now the question is, can you hold on to it? Come on, some of you here that are believing for your family and you've got a, 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 an audacious believer. God, I believe they're going to serve you. And you go, well, they're certainly not serving Him at the moment. And you audaciously believe it. But what do you do when they don't believe it? Do you have the strength to continue believing when no one else does? Amen? Huh? Or they tell you about the economy or your particular part of the industry. And there you've been going every morning, laying hands in your office before anybody else turns up, saying, God, I believe that your blessing is over my business in Jesus' Name. And then you pick up the paper and it talks about how uh, some other thing, they're predicting a downturn in that. And interest rates, pretty soon the government's gonna be paying you to take money. What do you believe then? Amen. Very quiet here today. Vision's got to live in the heart of one. Be strong. It will get seen the deeds of many, but only if you and I are strong in that early part. Here's the third thing. The third stage of vision is partnership. So there's audacious believing and then there's strength. But the third one is partnership because vision's too important to give to a crowd but it's also too important to remain with just one. Vision's too important to give to a crowd because they vote numbers 13, will tell you that. 12 spies, 10 of them vote no, let's not go. Two of them say, we want to go because we know. Well, that's as good as make America great again. Just chotting out a campaign slogan for you. Think about it a minute. Ten of them carried the day. That's why Joshua, when it came his turn to go and re-examine the promised land, he learned a lesson. He never sent out 12, he sent out two. Because the worst that can come back. You know, he, re- he bet he kind of got to get at least 50%. But partnership is necessary because while God always gives vision to one and you audaciously believe and it stays in your heart, somewhere along the way, it's too important to stay with just you. Listen, don't die and you're the only one that believed in you. Don't go to heaven saying, well, at least I believed. Make sure that you've got enough faith to overflow to the people around about you, that there's enough confidence that you can give it to others. Judges chapter 6, verse 34 says this, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and the Abbi Ezrites gathered behind him. The Abbi Ezrites significantly are his own family, his own clan, his tribe. And so when the Spirit of God comes on you, I always expect that gathering will be the result. But here's my question for you. Can the Holy Spirit bring people around about you or do your insecurities and your fears push them away? I wonder what would have happened to King Saul if he'd embraced David instead of fearing David. I wonder if he wouldn't have had a a kingdom like Solomon. 
you know, famed and peace for all those years. I wonder what would have happened if he'd championed David. He did for a little while but until his insecurities got a little bit troubled and they started saying, you know, they're talking about him more than they're talking about you. And so that's when he starts getting jealous and his insecurity and his jealousy. Listen, can I tell you, it doesn't really matter who gets the credit. What matters is does the job get done? Amen. Have a bigger life. If you don't do that, you will turn off the very people God sends to you to partner with you. You'll push them away without meaning to. You'll, you'll imagine all kinds of, I've heard all kinds of stuff pastors imagine about people and oh, you know, they've got a Jezebel spirit. And I go, what is that? Oh, they've got an Absalom spirit. Oh, well, they've got a strong spirit. I go, isn't that what we want? Last I checked, Amen. Huh? So partnership is the next level. You've audaciously believed. You've gone through the thing of strength. You stand strong. Now start looking. God, who are the people that you're going to bring around about my life? Where are they, God? And you know what? The person who says that and stays at home, burying their head in their book or in their computer, has not really believed that there are partners out there. Someone said to me the other day, I don't really like networking. And I go, well, that's a bit weird. Because how are you ever going to achieve your vision without people? Now, I'm not talking about some kind of mechanical or, or ungodly manipulation or some kind of thing rather like that. But how many of you have checked that life is full of people? Huh? I said to Rhonda this week, God must like people because He sure made a lot of them. <laughs> and none of them are the same. Amen. I think that's one of the great challenges and fun bits can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? I think it's one of the great fun bits of being a leader is you've got to lead people that are not like you. Because if you all thought like me, <clears throat> how many of you married somebody who thinks just like you? What? Yeah, he put his hand up. He put his hand up and then she's shaking her head. <laughs> You're only just finding out, brother. It's a revelation for you. She's not thinking like you at all. Uh, I'll leave you to work that out after church. Just come to my little counselling table in the cafe. Let me help you go through it. How many of you have married someone who, and, and you know, when you, when you marry them, when you date them, whatever, you, you know, you go, oh, isn't that great? Because they're so different to you. You are, you're like me, Mr. Straight Up and Down, Mr. Steady She Goes, Mr. No Fun, Just Go Ahead. And then you go and you marry this olivey skinned wild woman. Is that the way this went, Rhonda? I figured after my hot pink statement, hey, I'm already in for just whatever. So if I'm going like, well, whatever, row out into the deep, that's my motto. Amen. My motto is, if you're, if you're out there, keep going. You never know what you'll find. Amen. I, I like taking risk. My wife packs clothes to go away for a week for every eventuality. If there was an earthquake, she'd be prepared. Seriously, go with us to Cambodia. If somebody's sick, I send them to Rhonda because she's got it all in her suitcase. There's, there's leprosy tablets in there. 
feel I might be going shopping this week. <laughs> Listen, God is not always going to make your life happy by bringing the people around about you that are just like you. So don't let your insecurities and your fears push them away because He's got, listen to it, He's got the right people at the right time. I believe it. He's got the right people at the right time for your vision. Here's the fourth stage. The fourth stage of vision is supply. You've audaciously believed and you've wandered and walked through the period of strength. Do I believe it if no one else does? And then you start gathering partners Let me read to you from Judges chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me. I reckon Gideon's going, not for me. They're too many for me, says God, to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn around and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And, And Gideon, fresh from an encounter with the angel, and the anointing and, and the thing that happened with the sacrifice and his father standing up for him. And then 32,000 people, that's a lot of people, 32,000 people down tools say to their wife, I haven't got time to eat. I hear the trumpet call. I've got to go. And off they march. And as they walk out the door, they pick up their shield and they pick up their spear and they get their sword and they say, she says, what are you doing? He goes, I, I, I don't know, but I, I'm feeling the call. And they go out there. And then 30, can you imagine 32,000? 32,000 is a lot of people. And, you know, if, if that was 32,000 people protesting against or for something in Perth, trust me, it'd be on every news bulletin everywhere. It's a huge number of people, massive number of people. Almost as many people that were at the Derby yesterday. It's just a lot of people. Thirty-two thousand people gather ready for war. So I reckon Gideon hears the Lord say, "Tell them if they're scared, go home." He's going, like, I know Billy the wuss. He'll go for sure. That leaves me thirty-one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. And that, yeah, yeah, my next door neighbour. He's halfway through building his fence. He'll go home for sure. He's a wuss if ever I met one. What a sook. But I reckon he goes, "Ah, I might lose hundred, huh?" That's not too bad. I can live with that. And 22,000 of the people left. I don't know what you'd be doing. I know as the leader, I'm standing there going. Do you know how long it takes 22,000 people to walk past you? <laughs> Are you sure you're really scared? <laughs> 10,000 people remain. Wow. But I don't know about you, I'd be going, at least I've got 10,000. And God goes, the people are still too many. Oh, for sure. Bring them down to the water and I will 
test them for you there. And then it'll be whichever one I say to you, this one will go with you, the same will go with you. And of him I say to you, this one won't go with you, the same won't go. He brought the people out of the water and the Lord said to Gideon, every lapse from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you'll set apart by himself likewise everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand in their mouth was 300. Why did he get rid of the other ones? Because if you've got the spear in your hand and you're going to lap like that, These are all the people, their first thought is, I'll put my weapon down. And there's only 300 of them who go like this. The slower way. But there's only 300 people that are willing to say, you know what? I'm keeping my eyes up because I came to fight. I never came to look. Are you one of the people who for you a vision is something to look at? Or did you come to fight for it? Amen. Come on. Because I know in the life of every leader that I've ever worked with or been a part of leading, I know there comes a point where you go, well, are you going to fight or aren't you? Because this is about supply. See, supply wasn't weapons. Supply was people. Here's a resource. I don't know what yours will be. I don't know how it would look for you. But I'd be pretty sure that he never thought 32,000 was enough. I'm really positive he didn't think 300 was enough. But isn't it right that most of us think that we don't have enough? Some of you here, the loved one that you have a vision for or the family are so scattered and you go, if only I was there, I could do something. But you're not, you're here. And so you put your resource in closeness of location. That's what you've believed is the thing that will turn the tide. For some of you here, it's your job or your career. And if I had that job, my life, if I'd only got that promotion last year, I'd be better positioned. And so we look at things and we label them our supply. And God decides to teach this man, you know what? God can always do more with less. If I had better qualifications, whatever it may be that is in your mind and your heart. Supply is the next thing that God works on in your life. And He'll never work on it like you think. How many people here wish that you could just win lotto? Now, you've got to buy a ticket. So I get that. You know, I keep saying to Rhonda, why haven't you won lotto? And she says, it's because I don't buy a ticket. I go, well, that'll be the answer right there. I'm just like you. You know, when it comes to planning and dreaming, some of the things with red frogs and we go, oh, this, this could look good. What if we do that and approach them? And I'm gonna keep reminding myself and I do and remind the people around about me that those things were never our supply. Amen. Because God can take 32,000 willing people and go, you know what? Let's winnow them out a little bit. Come on. Come on, today's a day about you saying, like that song says, I will put my trust in you. I will put my, come on. Maybe that loved one's a long way away and you go, God, if I was there, I'd say this and I'd do this. It'd be so much better. But don't you know that God can send somebody to your loved one? No matter where they are in the world. And it'll be more powerful than you having organised a nagging party and a sympathy session to get around them. But if you trust God with it, Come on, there's some of you here today. I know I'm speaking as truth for you. Just decide today, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. 
team, please come. We're going to sing that song. And I will put my trust in you. And I want you in your heart today to decide, God, I'm going to audaciously believe. Come on. Because we're all at different stages here, no doubt. Some of us, we haven't audaciously believed because all of life has punished us and pushed us down. We've begun to think that it's never going to happen or why would I even dare to dream it? Well, why don't you dare to dream it? You've got nothing to lose. You may as well. Failure is never the end of a life. Sometimes it's the beginning of the best stage. Audaciously believe and then Some of us here, we just need to have strength because we keep wondering how come nobody else believes it. Well, that's because the angel never spoke to them. He spoke to you. Amen. There are some things that I know to be so, but God didn't tell everybody else. He just told me. So if He just told me that I guess I'm expected to believe it, not wait until there's a voting party and everybody gets together and goes, we're right with you. That's Saul. Saul feared the people. And because Saul feared the people, he lost his kingship. Don't worry about the crowd. It's okay to want things, but it's not okay to need them. It's okay to want people. Just don't be needy about it. Partnership. Is God sending you people, but you've just become so timid that you keep pushing them away? I'm convinced a lot of people don't fellowship, not because it's their personality, but because they've been hurt. They go, well, if I step out, if I, if I allow someone in my world, it might go bad again. And I'd say, yeah, it might. But I don't know about you, but I would rather make a couple of mistakes, a couple of missteps. I'd rather stumble here or there. I'd rather do that and somehow rather end up with the right people in my world than push them away. Lastly, is God's supply. He can bring it to you in Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, let's stand together and we're going to pray. All of us right where we are. God can always do more with less. Tonight, by the way, I'm speaking like a second half of this called After the Vision, Then What? Because I think a lot of people have got a vision to find a spouse, a husband or a wife, but they've got no vision for a marriage or they've got a vision to get pregnant and have a baby, but they've got no vision for raising a life. After the vision, then what? I said to somebody this week, we're the first generation to struggle because of our success, not our failure. Never been more people that have achieved fame than there are living on the earth right now. There's never been more people suffering, unable to continue in the thing that they dreamed of. So tonight I'm going to be addressing that and praying with people about that. Maybe you might want to think about it. But let's pray together. Because some of you here, let me start with those of you right now that go, I need to audaciously believe. Maybe nobody, and if maybe your husband or your wife doesn't believe it, it's all right, as long as you do. Dare to believe something great about your life. Maybe it's just strength. You, maybe it's been a while and you go, it's not looking good first thing that happened to Gideon was a reversal, not a forward move. He goes up and knocks down the altar and they all want to kill him for it. But three verses later, they all leave their homes to follow him. He goes, this is really making it. Then comes another reversal and a whole bunch of them leave. He must have gone, this is getting, this is like a roller coaster. 
Let me pray to you, Heavenly Father, for everyone that's here in this place today. Some of us, Lord, need to start. And God, I feel that like the Holy Spirit is energetically standing outside of some people's heart and knocking so loud on their door and saying, come on, this is your moment. Why don't you? Come on, why don't you? And God, I pray for those people in Jesus' Name. I pray, Lord, wherever they are, whatever it's about and whatever their secret dream is, whatever their secret hope is, God, I, I pray today they'll stop going, maybe, will I? And they'll decide, I'm, I'm going to believe. I believe it in Jesus. I just believe it. Some people here, Lord, for whom the strength, they get so many contrary opinions. Facebook is their worst enemy because they keep hearing back the negative. God, I pray for them. You'll strengthen them with might by Your Spirit in the inner man. For those of us, Lord, it's partnership or supply. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' Name.